Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. So, uh, let's, uh, let's dive right in this morning. Uh, spiritual transformation, this is uh, a message just pushing that along or communicating that with our church again. Tuesday night, we had a gathering uh, where we just gather to worship and focus on fellowship, community, and spiritual transformation. And uh, that we about, had about 100 people here on Tuesday night. Uh, we had Hickory House. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Actually, it's part of the message. But uh, just a great thing to focus on. Lord, give us, uh, let us be transformed into your likeness. And, and how does that happen? Um, I know that you all are uh, excited that 4th of July is coming. I don't know about you, but when the 4th of July comes and passes, I feel like the summer is over. And I just want to enjoy every day. So let's, uh, let's mark these days and the time and, and just pray for God to give us uh, rest and pray for God to give us divine uh, insight or divine perspective on time. He created time and space, right? Isn't that crazy that he created time and space for us? So here's another significant date for you. It's March 3rd, 2018. Uh, that day may have come and gone without our notice, but something significant happened on that day. Just four years and a few months ago, uh, a, a champion of athletics and sporting accomplishment passed away quietly in Oxford, England. Anyone know who that is? He was not only a champion, he became an icon, an iconic symbol of victory itself even. Uh, a symbol of the human spirit and being pushing ourselves to the very brink of physiological limitations. He was Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the first man to run a mile in under four minutes on this planet. I'm sure you knew that, or maybe that history is kind of getting into the distant past, but even today, uh, people still pursue that goal of running a mile in under four minutes. It's amazing to think he was with us only a few short uh, years ago. Here he is in 1954, May 6th. Can you see that? Yeah, 1954, May 6th. He's in the last leg, the home stretch of his fourth quarter mile lap around Ifley Field. In fact, he's standing here on that famous field in Oxford, the Ifley Road track. And some 60-something years, 68 years ago now, and 54 in the home stretch, he is kicking in, speeding up. Roger Bannister had an incredible kick in his last leg and would blow people away. And he is racing himself uh, into history right here. Bannister's feet would be trumpeted on front pages around the world on May 7th, the following day. The New York Times reported on May 7th that Bannister had achieved one of man's hitherto unattainable goals. His, nick, his name became synonymous with singular athletic achievement. And here he is just maybe 15 seconds later crossing the finish line. Do you remember this iconic photo? Have you seen this? Was anyone around for that event? Maybe. I mean, it's still possible. He passed away only a few years ago. Here's another iconic photo you may have seen or you may recognize. Ifley Road track in Oxford. About 1,200 people showed up that day uh, to witness this. There was a, 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 a track meet, but then there was also this exhibition run that Roger had organized and was planning to, to break this uh, barrier. Three minutes, 59.4 seconds. One mile. Now, I, I should tell you, 
Uh, you could watch this on YouTube, by the way. We, we won't take the time this morning, but you can watch his, his run on YouTube. And when he crossed the finish line, they had to check all their, you know, they didn't have digital back then. So they're checking their stopwatches and before getting an official time. And the crowd is waiting, waiting. He fell into the arms of his coach. He's totally exhausted if you watch that, that video on YouTube. And when the, when the announcement came, the announcer said, it's been done. Three minutes, 59.4 seconds. You can imagine the crowd did not hear the 59.4. When the announcement came that it was three, that's what he was after. Can you sense the excitement in that? And I want us to kind of get our heads around this a little bit because I'm sure here we are in Aspen. I want to kind of put this in perspective and a lot of athletes in Aspen. And I'm sure that some of us maybe even here today are saying to ourselves, well, you know, I think if I focused, if I ran every day, if I really trained and, and worked really hard, I could, I could run a four. That's, that's four minutes. I mean, the track, you know, I can see the track, four laps, one minute each. I think I could do that. Well, let's kind of put this in perspective. If, if you go to the gym and you get on a treadmill, the fastest treadmills, the most modern and fastest treadmills only go to 12 miles per hour. That is exactly a four-minute mile. I mean a five-minute mile. Sorry, excuse me. Five minutes. That's a five-minute mile. As fast as it'll go. So I'd love for you to go to the gym, get on that treadmill, and just take your time, warm up, and then, and then run that thing up to, five, to a five-minute mile, 12 miles per hour. Your legs will, you're sprinting. You are sprinting. You're going 12 miles per hour. Your legs are running so fast, and if you can stay on that treadmill, if you can avoid falling down and getting a nice six-week rubber burn right up your chest and chin to be shot at the back of the room, if you can stay on it, that's a five-minute mile. Oh, but you'll have to stay on that for five minutes at that pace. And if you want to get close to four minutes, you're going to have to hit, shave, what, 60 seconds off that last 75-second lap. You with me? Too many numbers? Feels good? This is an extraordinary achievement. And maybe to put that in perspective a little bit more, um, about more than, a little more than 6,000 people have stood on the summit of Everest. Anybody here? You always have to ask in Aspen. Wait, did I see a hand? <laughs> number of people live in Aspen that have stood on Everest. But a little more than 6,000 people have stood on the summit of Everest. Only about 2,000 have ever run a four-minute mile. A little more than 2,000. Since 1954. Only about 20 high school athletes. We, you know, we, this young athlete, we assume to be in the prime of their physical conditioning. Only about 20 high school athletes have ever run a four-minute mile. So is that seeming like a little bit, there's a little bit more to this. It was considered the perfect mile because it's four laps, four minutes, one minute each. And people have been pursuing this goal for a little more than 100 years. And they began to get closer, but I, I, I want us to, rem- to understand that doctors of that time, m- medical doctors, were on record as saying this is physiologically impossible. In fact, it's not only impossible, this is a dangerous undertaking. Some doctors were on record as saying this is a dangerous or deadly undertaking because your heart can't take that kind of strain for that length of time. Another reason it was called the perfect mile is because there were two kinds of runners. You had sprinters who were going for 100, 200, 400, even 800 meters, perhaps. 
But then the long distance runners who were running marathons and 1,500 meters and beyond. And as a sprinter, you had to have speed. And as a distance runner, you had to have endurance. And the mile was considered the perfect mile because you had to have this unique combination of speed and endurance. Needless to say, this was an extraordinary feat. And I also want to point out that when everyone thinks it's impossible and then Bannister does it, just 46 days later, John Landy ran a mile in under four minutes and he shaved a little time off. I think the fastest record today is three minutes and 43 seconds and some, right? This is, this is incredible. But it was thought impossible. And then when Bannister did it, not only did John Landy follow, but another 2,000 people over the course of 68 years, still not an easily achievable goal. But now the mentality and the belief system has changed because now it, what was impossible before is now possible. You with me? All right. Do you see the setup? Why am I sharing this with you? Check this out. Here is shoes. In 2015, in September, well, a little before, but in September, they sold on auction. John Bannister says, I'm going to sell my shoes. And Christie's Auction House in London says, okay, we'll take that on. And they estimate the value of the shoes, though they should bring anywhere between 50,000, 60,000 U.S. and maybe 100,000 U.S. They sold for $320,000 U.S. And who thinks that was probably a pretty good investment? <laughs> Probably. There's only one pair. But why do I share this with you? Because we are fascinated by the extraordinary, aren't we? We're captivated by a story that where someone has overcome all odds, succeeded against all odds. I want to raise the stakes for us even more, though. These are physiological limitations. I want us to look at a biblical story where there are physical limitations, physics even. And I want to look at the feeding of the 5,000 this morning. Dan referred to it and led us just in worship, just to meditate on this, on this passage a little bit and some parts of it during worship. But I want to dive into it to see what we can learn from this account of this event in Scripture. What, what happened? What was going on? How did the disciples respond? What are the circumstances and what are the details of this event? Let's look deeply into this and see if we can learn something. I believe we can. Scripture, the word, uh, the spirit illuminates for us the will of God and the truth of God in Scripture. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray, God, that you illuminate this for us this morning, that you give us insight. You give us revelation. Lord, you speak to us and God stir our hearts, our souls, our faith this morning. And God, may we remember, Lord, the reality of your presence. And Lord, let us hold fast, God, to the potential of your presence, to the potential, Lord, of what you can do. Lord, reveal that to us. Reveal uh, to each of us, Lord. Speak to us by your Spirit. May we hear and know your voice this morning. And be encouraged in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. All right, so uh, let's take a look at this story. This is in, uh, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 6. This, uh, this miracle, in fact, is recorded in all four Gospels. And there's, there are a couple of little of different details, but they match up very, very well. Um, 
But let's just, I want to set the stage a little bit. Jesus is extremely popular in, in this day and time. I mean, after all, 5,000, actually more like 10,000 people showed up at this event because they're following him. He actually has said to the disciples, look, you've worked hard. Uh, let's get away. Let's draw away to a desolate place. So he asked the disciples to come with him. Let's go to this place. And they get in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and they go and they try and disappear. But the people on the shore are like, hey, <laughs> Hey, they're rowing, man. They're trying to sail. Uh, they don't have some giant motorboat. Let's follow them. And so 10,000 people eventually are somehow making their way down the shore of the Sea of Galilee, trying to see what's going to happen next. Where's he going to, he's got to land somewhere. So let's read this uh, beginning in, chap, in chapter 6, verse 30. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, this is an ESV, uh, test, uh, ESV text, English Standard Version. It says, Uh, Beginning of verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. We'll talk about that in a minute. What were they doing? And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw Jesus, a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five loaves and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And we know there were women present from other gospel accounts, women and children, and just roughly guessing, I mean, if we kind of did a tally of this room today, I bet there are about half as many men as people. So there were 9,000, 10,000, could have been 11,000 people. That's a lot of people, right? So what were they doing? They said in the beginning, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So what's going on before that? Jesus had just sent them away. Uh, a few days earlier, out two by two, the disciples, the apostles, sent them out two by two into the countryside to minister to the people. He gave them authority. He gave them authority, the keys to the kingdom. You are able to cast out demons. You are able to deliver, heal, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And they did. They had this specific ministry and they take off. So right at the beginning of this, we see, if you read back just a few chapters, I mean, a few paragraphs, we're not going to do it this morning, but it's there. 
you'll see that account and what they did and how he gave them authority and what he said to them. And so they've gone out and done this. And now they're coming back to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this is what we taught. This is what we did. This is what happened. And so they're telling him all this. He says, great. Okay, let's go away and rest. You've, you've worked really hard. Let's go away and rest. I want to point out, just in this story today, five things I think that can help us to greater trust in Jesus. When we read Scripture, we should be meditating on it. When we, when we encounter Scripture, we definitely want to lay our minds before God and say, Lord, show me, what, show me your truth in this. Show, what can I learn from this? And so as we walk through this today, and there may be other things that, that you will discern from Scripture, but I just found five key things that I think can lead us to greater, greater trust in Jesus. And the first one is this. Life is a series of surprise encounters, is it not? Oh, you and I try to plan. We want to plan, and we try to plan. But... Our plans don't always work out quite the way, especially when others are involved, do they? Even if we're just ourselves is involved. And so what I want us to kind of realize is life is a series of surprise encounters and it was no different for the apostles. And in fact, they had just come from an event where they were given authority by Jesus himself to minister, to do these great things. And then they show up over here. Well, this is not planned. Just people began to gather on the shore. And when they landed, suddenly there's a huge group. And they have to respond to it. They're hoping to rest. Are they not? They're hoping. You know, I've worked hard this week. I've done my service. I have given what I need to give. And now I get to rest. But something different may certainly happen to us. I believe even discipleship. With Jesus, these disciples in discipleship with Jesus, prove me wrong, help me understand this better. Discipleship with Jesus was a series of surprise encounters. And there was always, always something that Jesus could teach them and show them about the circumstances and about the events that are going on in their life right now. Remember the kids running to Jesus? Oh boy, the disciples are like, no, 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 keep them away, man. We've got spiritual business to attend to. This is another surprise event. They're everywhere in Scripture. And so I think when we realize that, if we'll allow ourselves to say, okay, Lord, tomorrow, and he says, today, today has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow, but today, live with faith today, that we have this capacity somehow to, to participate with God in his divine nature. It doesn't say that in that passage, but really this is kind of what happened. So, Let's move ahead here. They are first challenged with that idea of transforming their thinking. This is a surprise event. By the way, they'd been on this specific ministry event. And it seems to me that the disciples are now having trouble transferring the lessons of this specific ministry event, transferring the lessons of this uh, authority they've been given in Jesus, the presence, the power of God, the Spirit. They're having a little difficulty transferring that to the routines of everyday life. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar enough, let me say it a different way. The disciples of Jesus in Aspen may from time to time have difficulty transferring the lessons from a Tuesday night home church to the activities and relations and interactions of the family on the weekend. 
or maybe the disciples of Jesus in the Roaring Fork Valley area may, from time to time, may have difficulty transferring the lessons of a Sunday morning at church to Monday morning at work. Are you with me? This is what's happened in the disciples' life here. They were sent out here. They were even telling him at the beginning of it, Lord, this is what we did. This is what we did. But suddenly, suddenly, here are some other circumstances. So I encourage us, church, let's challenge ourselves to know when those have brought surprise encounters, and they're coming all the time, to respond with faith, to respond with the spiritual lessons that we have learned, the truth that God has taught us, Number two, don't panic. Oh, that's so easy. If I could make that shorter, I would. Don't panic. Have you ever made any decisions under stress? Nobody wants to answer that. Of course we have. And we do it all the time. Because when things become intense, there's a, there's a time limit. There are, uh, there's something going on that's now beyond our control. And you know, I've got some leadership gifts, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision here. I'm, I'm going to get this done. But don't panic. These disciples, do you think they were stressed out a little bit about the sun setting? 5,000 people is a lot of people. How many people live in Aspen year-round? Is that 6,000, 7,000? 7, That's almost the whole community of Aspen sitting down in Wagner Park. But I think the disciples were a little bit stressed. And I want to put you kind of in their place a little bit this morning. And like Dan said earlier, just, you know, put yourself in these stories. I'm not sure. I'm taking a stab here. But I want you to bear with me a minute. By the way, there are children present, infants, I'm sure of it. There they are. Not just, not just one, I'm sure. And if you plan an event outdoors, in the spring or in the summer when the weather's good. Now, it doesn't say it was raining. That was a little surprise event I threw at you. It wasn't raining. They would have mentioned that, I think. But do you think the disciples were stressed? Now, that's the best I could do in a pinch. I don't think that's 5,000 people. I think when 5,000 people get hungry, that could become a little stressful, especially those younger generations, because they, they wear it all right here. So don't panic. Try not to panic. <laughs> it's easier said than done, for sure. And I'm sure the disciples... 
You know, these are 5,000 people. And Jesus has said to them, you feed them. Me feed them. Us feed them. Well, yeah. What do you have? They're like, we can't feed them. And he says to them, what do you have? I'm sure they're going, well, (laughs) you don't want to know. We didn't bring enough for us. We have five loaves and two fish. That's all they could get together. What do you have? Feed them. I wonder if it ever occurred to those those disciples like it would to me, maybe. I, I don't even know these people. I don't even know these people. Are you kidding me? Feed them? My family's back home. My closest friends are here. I Feed them? Are, are we willing to let God's blessing come through us to others? You see that? Are we willing? I may not have much, but are we willing to let that blessing come through us and be a blessing to others? We have to improve our spiritual sensitivities. We have to improve our spiritual sensitivities, don't we? I mean, to be transformed into Jesus' likeness, there's there's the challenge that these disciples are dealing with in that moment. Jesus knows that God can provide here. These disciples, they've panicked. Send them away. Hurry. They're getting hungry. I, I want us to remember that Physical circumstances sometimes are connected to spiritual realities. Physical circumstances are sometimes connected to spiritual realities, probably more than, than we realize. I love, uh, I love the idea, I think most of us do, about Navy SEALs and what these guys go through and what they, how they train and how few make this organization. I was reading a book recently by a Navy SEAL uh, who was also a congressman today, and he was discussing how, what they do when they were dropping into this one mission in Afghanistan. They drop 10 people into Afghanistan on the ground. They have miles to go to get to the target. But part of their protocol when they hit the ground is they stop, look, listen, and smell. Smell. They call it SILS, S-L-L-S. Stop, look, listen, and smell. Why not stop, look, and listen? That's enough. I stop, I be still, I watch, and I listen. But they added smell to it. Why? Well, you may smell goats. You may be still and you can't see anything, you can't hear anything, but you smell diesel fuel. I don't know. I'm just kind of playing this out. You may smell fire. Which way is the wind blowing? So the seals add this, these other sensitivities to the obvious ones. Stop, look, and listen, which we've heard all of our lives. And so what about us? What about us with spiritual sensitivities? Because there is something beyond, is there not? The physical senses and the reality. There's something way beyond that. God's purposes, God's power, God's presence, the revelation of God. Are you with me? So at times we may need to resist the temptation to just be the problem solver, increase our spiritual sensitivities. A friend of mine said this week, 
I love this. I won't give him away. I told him I wouldn't, but I told him I was going to quote him. He may or may not be in the room right now. He said, we were having a spiritual discussion. He said, I am fiercely self-sufficient to my own detriment. Does anyone relate to that? I am fiercely self-sufficient to my own detriment. You're with me, right? And when he said that, I'm like, man. That's what we're trying to overcome, or can be, part of it, part of it. So, number four, don't explain it away. I, I, this is kind of not in the passage here, but I imagine these disciples. Can you imagine after this event occurred, maybe what it was like around the campfire, the next night, or that night even, or on the road somewhere? Hey, Peter, now let them go ahead. Hey, man. Um, how did that happen? Did you, did you see those loaves multiply? Did you, what happened? Did you look in that basket? Did Jesus, what did he do? Or maybe, or maybe you try and make like rational explanations for something that God did in your life. Have you ever done that? Maybe if I was there, I probably would have said, you know, I mean, there's 5,000 people, 10,000 people. I'm sure someone brought some snacks along. I mean, wouldn't they? they? They're all going through the countryside. Yeah, I didn't look in their satchels. Surely they brought something along. Okay, that's, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's how God did that. Don't explain it away. We, we explain and explain and analyze and analyze and talk and talk and talk and try to figure things out. Oh. You know, there's a support group for friends of people who talk too much. It's called On and On. <laughs> Meets. Meets on Tuesdays. If it's clinical, that meeting is on Thursdays. It has a more scientific name. It's called on and on and on. <laughs> but that's us, isn't it? We, we want to figure it out. We want to talk and think and analyze. Maybe we should take a cue from Jesus here. Jesus takes, bring me what you have. And Jesus says a blessing over this little penance of food and nourishment. He gives thanks. And I don't know about you, but sometimes there's a difference in my life. I, 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 sometimes I recognize it when I'm, when I'm trying to give thanks and, and when I'm actually giving thanks. Does that make sense? Sometimes I, you, you can strive to, to pray. And other times you're praying or you're trying to worship. And other times you're just worshiping. Don't let our minds deceive us in that. God has given us a whole mind. God has given us a whole spirit. And we can take our thoughts captive. And so let's, let's make ourselves submit to what he has for us in any given moment. And let's just give thanks. Let's simply pray. Let's have faith. Are you with me? I was sitting at a table quite a few years ago with a friend of mine, Tom Fisher, who finally became a mentor of mine. Uh, he lives in Israel now. And Tom Fisher, we were up at, at Boogie's. You remember Boogie's? You remember the staircase going up, right? Milkshakes. And you go up the stairs and you go up the levels and there's two railings, right, on either side. I remember the table we were sitting in. Climb those stairs and we're sitting at a table on the left side as you go up. And I've, we're sitting right by the rail. And I'm sitting there explaining to Tom why God um, is probably not going to do something in my life. 
and I'm telling him, you know, I just, I'm just, you know, I just don't think God's going to just, just do that. And, uh, and in the midst of my explanation, Tom Fisher, I mean, he put hands on the table, leans into me in an instant and said, then he's not. He said, Derek, if you fight for your limitations, they shall be yours. Why would I do that? We've all done it. Why would I do that? Why would I settle for physical realities and try to explain everything away? Church, we want to increase in hope and increase in faith. Amen? Amen? All right, one more point here. Recognize the offering. Recognize the offering. Don't miss the offering. What, 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 what's the offering in this story? It's five loaves and two fish. Don't hold it closely. And it may not even be obvious. I mean, can you imagine 5,000 people sitting on a hill? They gathered in groups of hundreds and fifties. So if it was just in hundreds, that would be a hundred group of a hundred groups of a hundred. Can you imagine seeing this spread out on the countryside? And they've got this tiny little five loaves. Not like, I'm sure these weren't huge loaves. These are, these are loaves you can fit in a a backpack. Five loaves and two fish. That's their offering. And Jesus says, what do you have? They didn't recognize that as the offering. They didn't recognize that as the gift, the sacrifice that could be multiplied and come through the power of God, through them even, to bless 5,000 people. And Jesus says, bring it to me. What do you have? Bring it to me. Don't miss the offering. I I don't know what the offering is going to be for each of us in the coming weeks or days or even hours. But there's a wonderful principle here in God's truth to realize that what I give to the Lord, time, energy, resource, bread, whatever it may be, let's remember that in the kingdom, things are multiplied exponentially. In fact, the word tells us 30, 60, 90 fold. And so don't miss the offering in the course of our days, in the course of our lives. I want to encourage us to that end this morning. We had a gathering here Tuesday night, I mentioned, and we had about 100 people. We had Hickory House. For 100 people, that expense to the church was about $2,000. 2000 bucks to feed 100 people. That's not bad. That doesn't sound bad, does it? But if you turn that into 10,000 people, that $2,000 becomes $200,000. I had a friend, this is another mentor that said to me one time, he said, Derek, he said, always remember there's a solution to every problem. I was struggling with how to find more time for this 
or that endeavor, how to find more time. And I know you've all run up against that. And my mentor said, there, there always, there's always a solution. And he's acting with faith, saying, you, you just rest, pray, there's always a solution. It may not be the obvious. In fact, I shared that with another mentor, because I'm, checking, I'm taking, checking notes, you know, and comparing notes. I shared that with another mentor, and they said, they said, yes, there's always a solution. But Derek, sometimes the answer and the solution is in the absurd. Sometimes the solution is in the absurd. And so church, what if the absurd is right in front of us? What if the absurd is actually having faith in God? Not just faith, but complete faith. What, what if it's, it's building this total all-in faith in God to say, Lord, I know you are my provider, and no matter what happens, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to pray to you. And to make a full commitment to God is going to take some faith on our part. And by the way, we can't depend on ourselves to do that even. To make a full commitment kind of sounds on one hand like, you know, I'm going to have to really muster some physical strength here. Are you with me? I want to make sure that we don't do this. We sure, uh, Christianity is not against effort, it's against earning. But I want to make sure that we make this full commitment in the power of God. And by the way, I'm not talking about a partial commitment. I, I could talk about a partial commitment because I got plenty of experience with that. I got plenty of experience. I could talk for hours and hours and hours about a partial commitment. Just lip service. Say the right things. Look the right way. Whatever it is, we can, we can do that. But I'm talking about faith, man, that God calls us to. Faith like Moses to take that staff and stand at the edge of the Red Sea and drive that staff down into the water with 600,000 Israelites watching. People are going to be watching you. It's going to happen. Or like David, this shepherd boy, this young shepherd boy. No one wanted to fight this giant. No one wanted to fight this 7 foot 10 inch or 9 foot 4 inch. There are all these different measurements. This huge giant. No one wanted to fight him. But David comes out with courage and says, I'll do it. I'll do it. God is with me. Or Daniel going in to the lion's den. You know, sometimes things don't work out quite like we planned. There are stories like that in the Bible all over. Can you imagine that courage saying, you know, I'm going to go in. My God can save me. In fact, he had no choice to go in. (laughs) But church, how do we build this faith? How do we move toward that? I'm going to give us a final question here to think about. Or a statement. God, show me what you can do with what I have with where I am, with whomever I'm with. You see, that's a hard statement for most of us because I, I, I know what God could do if I had this. You, you with me? I, I, I'm sure that if I just could have this or accomplish that, then, oh boy, oh boy, God could use that. Or what about where I am? 
God, I just, I'd rather be there. And if I was there, I know what you could do. Or what about who you're with? Whomever you're with. Have you ever looked around at the people around you and go, why? We've all done it. We've all done it. I'd rather be with those people. I'd rather be in this place or with this uh, team or this thing going forward here. Let's read our scriptures. Let's learn from scripture. God wants us where we are. He wants whatever we have. He, he wants to use us with whomever we're with. Right? So church, come on. Let's build our faith. Let's pray, and we shall right now, but pray and learn from scriptures this account of this event in the Gospels, and there are many, many others. Let's, let's dig into them and say, Lord, what can I learn? What, what can you teach me? And at least I know that he can teach us, he can do miraculous things with what we have, with where we are, with whomever we're with. Church, let's believe that with me today, okay? Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.